If I could describe to get my life tour in one word, it would be vulnerability. Showing up for yourself is so important. Welcome to the Get My Life Tour. I'm your host, Lydia T. Blanco. Welcome to the Get My Life Tour. It is me, your host, Lydia T. Blanco, and I am so excited that you decided to tune in and carve out time in your day, night, morning, evening, all of that to join me here on tour. If this is your first time joining me on the Get My Life Tour, oh my goodness, welcome. And if you are returning, thank you so much for being so faithful to yourself, of course, right? But also in being on tour. Look, I am thrilled about today's conversation because we are going to dive into all things confidence. But I'm borrowing this from someone. We are going to talk about confidence as a currency. And I just so happen to have the person I'm borrowing this from here on the Get My Life Tour. So without further ado, help me welcome Miss Ashley Kirkwood to the Get My Life Tour. Ashley, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You are welcome. Oh my gosh. So we have been having a conversation on and off for quite some time. It We could say yes. nearly a year, right? But we yes. met nearly two years ago. And let me just tell you, so this beautiful brown woman with her beat face, hair laid, walks up to me uh, while we were at an event in the Bay Area. And I was like, who is she? She's like, hey, I just want to know if you want to meet up for, you know, coffee. I believe it was a Starbucks. Um, yeah, something during the conference, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is so prompt and on her like P's and Q's. I have to know more about her. So we met up briefly for coffee. I was working like crazy and we had time to sit for a moment. And I learned this woman was phenomenal. She is a, a she's an attorney. She is an entrepreneur. She is a wife. She is a mother to be now. Um, and she is just all things on fire for helping entrepreneurs be their best, be protected, and be top earners. Definitely. Thank you so much. That is such a bomb introduction. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You are welcome. But you know what? Let me actually get into, you know, your actual bio. And I actually just have to say, Ashley's energy and her level of excellence at what she operates is incredible. So if you ever meet Ashley Kirkwood in person, you will feel her energy. She has a magnetic personality and truly cares for her clients. After graduating from Northwestern University School of Law with honors, um, you know, I'm not going to say the P word, Ashley, because you're the lawyer who went there and I can't get that name right. Um, but she graduated <laughs> with honors, right? She started her career at one of the largest law firms in the world, Kirkland and Ellis 
LLP. While there, she tried cases on behalf of large insurance companies. She also landed in the pages of the American Lawyer after a hard-won victory in a federal civil rights jury trial. She went on to do great things and moved to another firm, and she's always doing something great. So you can catch her serving as an on-air legal correspondent for a local Chicago television network or speaking at a college, a corporation, or giving TED Talks. She does it all. But she's also committed to helping entrepreneurs and students get their businesses in order. And guess what, y'all? When I talk about her being an entrepreneur, she actually transitioned from her role at a prestigious law firm to now being the founder and CEO of Mobile General Counsel, where she has her own team and over 50 clients. Talk about incredible. This woman does it all. And I'm so excited that she is joining us on this stop of the tour. So again, welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thanks for the warm introduction. Yes. I mean, you, you've made it so easy to speak highly about you. Number one, your website, your personal branding, everything about your digital presence is on point. And not only that, right? You are who you say you are. So you show up the way you present yourself in, with more enthusiasm um, in person, which I appreciate about you. Thank you. You are so welcome. So you know what? In your own words, who is Ashley Kirkwood? Hmm. You know, in my own words, I guess I would describe myself as an educator mm-hmm. because at the base of everything that I do, I love to educate. I'm a child of God. I'm a wife. I love my husband. I love spending time with him. We've been, it'll be eight years in, in March that we've been married and, you know, we got married at like 22. So we've spent the better half of our adulthood growing with one another and we've really been growing in grace. And so it's just been such a blessing to have his support and my family support. I'm a huge family. We bought a house like 10 minutes from my parents, which a lot of people may not have done, <laughs> but we, we like deliberately did it. Cause I was like, if I'm going to grow a family, I need to live by my folks. And so my family, yes, my family lives very close. Our church is very close. My dad's the pastor. My husband's the assistant pastor. So like I, I do a lot for the community and for others and for my company. But what I love to do is spend time with my family. I love that. You know, you exude the confidence of a woman of great faith. And I think that's so important, you know, in this day and age, so many people shy away from their belief. You know, I too am a believer and I always do my best to give, you know, praise to the most high, but some people really just are like, nope. Okay. So, you know, the universe and um, the trees today and this and that, and I, I love that you lead with that. It's extremely important. Um, How has faith, gotten you to where you are, right? Take us on your journey from little Ashley to Mrs. Kirkwood. Yes. You know what? I, before I knew God, I knew my parents and Mm -hmm. my dad and my mom were very deliberate about instilling 
confidence in us. And so when I was younger and I would do different things and I'd try different things, even though when I was younger, my grades weren't that great. Like my grades in high school, my grades in college weren't ex- excellent, but my parents always called me excellent. They always called me smart. They always were very, very, very supportive. So I always say like before I knew God, I knew my parents and they had faith. And so I assumed like, all right, well, you know, faith is the way to go because they had a beautiful marriage. They were very successful professionally. They really lived out their lives in a way that I wanted to emulate their life before I even knew about faith. And so when I came to know God for myself, it was him developing my gratitude and my faith in him. And realizing that I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to know how to do everything. As long as I believed that he would protect me no matter what, why wouldn't I try things? And so that I am very grateful that I had parents who didn't misrepresent the power of Christ. Because if I had, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have wanted that close of a relationship with God. And I just saw like this Facebook post about millennials in the church. And it was like, you (laughs) millennials are leaving the church because people have done a horrible job of living their lives outside the church. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't my experience, but I could totally see how that would detract people from faith. But the way that I grew up, it was like, your faith should not stop at the church doors. It should make you successful in everything, every area of your life. God has the power to like rule over that and make you successful. If you exemplify his love, you're grateful and you work hard. So it wasn't one of those like have faith and then just go in the corner and pray and hope that everything works out. You did have to couple it with work. And I saw that growing up. So they were they were really good examples for me, my parents. And um, so my faith became when I got older, it became like everything. Wow, That is. I'm so glad that you had that experience. I really am. And it sounds like faith and confidence somewhat go hand in hand. Um, Is that the case for you? Or was there a point in your journey as poured into as you were um, that ever got discouraged and was not as confident as, you know, um, you were built up to be? You know what? There are moments when I think for everyone, but I don't, I don't know everyone, so I won't speak for everyone, but I think (laughs) for most people and definitely for me, there have been moments in my life where I felt defeated. And during those moments, um, I really did have to pull from the evidence that faith really works, if that makes sense. So like, I remember going through a really, really tough time, like having a mental breakdown, totally overworking, which to me, overworking is an extra, it's like a a lack of faith. My dad taught me this. He was always saying like, you're working too hard. You're not exercising your faith because if you are working so hard, it's because you think you're doing everything and you're not, you have to leave room for faith. So I was totally overworking just like crazy hours, 18, 20 hour days, doing way too much, not being deliberate in my movements and my actions. And I had a mental breakdown and it was like a a public, embarrassing mental breakdown. And I remember being in the hospital and I was just like, oh, this is the worst. Like, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to go through something privately and feel defeated by it or feel bad, but no one really knows you're going through it. You can hide it. But it's another thing to go through something publicly. Um, And I felt really, really bad. My confidence was, was low. And what I had to do in that moment was literally write a letter to my future self. In faith, like literally like, hey, girl, now you're 70. 
you didn't already you you were had a bigger talk show than Oprah. You've been on media outlets all around the country. You've impacted thousands of lives. Like just writing out the biggest, grandest version of myself that I could imagine in my lowest, darkest moment. And the only reason I knew to do that was because for the majority of my life, things had worked out. Like I I didn't, I had a 2.1 in undergrad. There's no way I should have graduated from Northwestern Law School top of my class. But mm-hmm. I kept applying and I met a guy who worked at the school who helped me get into my first law school. He ended up getting terminated weeks after pushing my application through. Like, if that's wow. not faith, I don't know what is. So, right. oh you know, goodness. and then I went to Northwestern. And I had to transfer from a lower-ranked law school to Northwestern. The admissions officer at Northwestern who let me in, she ended up leaving the school, you know, after me getting in. But it was like these angels, whether they knew God or not, these yes. people were placed yes. in my life to, like, shepherd me through to a greater purpose and a greater vision. And when you think about everything in your life, not just these bad moments, but everything you will see moments of faith throughout those times. And that will have to carry you in those lower moments when you don't have confidence. And I tell people, okay, even if I don't have confidence in myself, I should always, or I always try to remember that it's not about what I can do in my own strength. It really is my belief system. And so I do think faith and confidence go together. And there have been moments when I haven't felt as confident. Oh, being pregnant. Oh my God. Like, you get so big. So, (laughs) and I'm a speaker. So I have to go on stages and I did a second TEDx talk and I was pregnant. And even in the pictures, like I was so bloated, but I had to, um, I had to like make it work. And it was almost ironic because my first TEDx talk was all about confidence. My second one was about race, which is a, a, a tougher topic to do. And I wanted to do it using humor and comedy. And I didn't feel as confident. I didn't love my outfit as much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to go on stage and really talk about this difficult topic. And I was last after they had seen everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but in those moments, I just had to remember like, all right, well, you wouldn't be here if, if this weren't your time. And confidence has to be about more than just how you feel. Like it's, it's evidence-based too. Okay. Number one, you most definitely have a spot open uh, waiting for you in ministry, right? You probably already know that. I am not saying anything <laughs> new to you. Like somebody is waiting for you. Um, and there are people who already hear from you, but let me tell you something. You said so many things and I'm lost for words, clearly, because you, number one, your father's advice, that is gold. Yeah. If you are working too hard, you don't have, an, like, you're not faith-based or you're not, I'm paraphrasing here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we understand, um, you know, that faith without work is dead, right? And we right. sometimes, I think, misinterpret that. So it's like, okay, no, I got to do my part. I got to do my part. I got to do my part. And it's just like, wait, what? How much of this is, you know, for you to do? That in itself is a word. So thank you to your father. And thank you so much (laughs) for sharing that. You know, I think sometimes we just work, 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 work. I'll speak for myself. I will run myself 
so thin, spread myself so yeah. thin. And I'm like, okay, well, I just have to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And we rationalize, we make up these narratives. And we're not making room for God to do him. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, be still and know. Yet we're still chugging away and thinking we have to carry everything, be perfect, be on point. And then you talked about what I would call a get my life moment, right? Um, and I say that in respect to the name of the podcast, but I understand mm-hmm. what you went through was your experience. And I say that with all due respect. Yeah, of course. But there is no but. You know, with that, I want to know how did you get through having your faith, having love and support? I understand, you know, in those situations, it feels like you can be alone. But, you know, as a woman of faith, I say, you know, we're all one with the most high. But how did you get through? You know what? I think I took time to not be okay. Mm. Like, I I really, I didn't have my phone. Like, my husband had my phone. He'd take my phone. My husband, you know, he's just, I've. I really want people to know that true love does exist because mm-hmm. he has showed me great examples of love throughout that entire period. So he ended up taking two months off of work, like medical leave so that he could take care of me and take me to physical therapy. And he had just started a new job. Wow. So, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was, it was a moment probably, for, so for two months, we worked on like me getting better, me healing, me resting. So he took my phone. We went to therapy, like actual therapy. And uh, I went to physical therapy. I had to do that because there were some physical issues. And then I, um, I rested and I limited who I spoke with very, very, mm. very, very drastically. That was the best part was me not being connected. I was not connected. <laughs> I was not connected. So... I didn't, I, I just was not connected. I did do like a statement, um, you know, on social media. I was like, hey, I'm fine, everyone. Like, thanks for all your messages and love. We are working through this. But essentially, I needed a mental break. And what I learned from going to therapy and from talking to um, my doctors was I actually, it was a very, it's very weird, but I can't have caffeine. Oh, wow. Which is weird because that was what I was using to stay up and work so hard. Mm. But it was helping me to, like, not sleep. So, one, sleep is very, 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 very important. It's critical. I did not know the damaging effects of long periods of not sleeping. Wow. But it can cause, like, psychotic breaks. And, you know, being a lawyer, working at that firm, it was great, a great experience and all of that. But I went long periods without sleeping. So maybe sleeping like an hour to two hours or hour to three hours. And we knew people at the firm, or at least they said they did this, that would, that during trial periods or tough times would do like, you know, three to four hours a night. And in those high stress environments, what we're told is some people just don't need a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to do that. Like you can keep working hard. And so if you're in a market like a New York or a Chicago legal market, or, you know, you're a stockbroker, you're in the finance industry, those were common narratives. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I went along with it because I am a high energy person, but now I haven't had coffee in over a year and I still have the same amount of energy. It's, it's wild. It is really wild. Like I don't really need coffee that I found out my dad doesn't drink coffee. And so like, there's just a lot of things that I had to do. So I really limited who I spoke with. 
I did go to therapy. I did seek actual medical attention, not like girlfriend chats. Um, But, you know, you have to you have to take a time, take time out. I think the best thing I did was disconnected. That was the best thing I ever did. Um, It's just taking a break. You don't have to be on all the time. You don't have to be perfect. And the people that I did speak with were really good people. They were like, they, they said the right things. Mm-hmm. Like God knew who to make sure who I could speak with at the time. Like God made sure it was like the right person. And one of my friends called me and she was like, basically she's not, <laughs> she's, she's a great person. Like I try not to coach. She's not that way. So she was like, no, you don't got to tell them people it. <laughs> like you need to just do what you got to do. And if they don't understand then they ain't your real friends anyways, man, screw them people. Like basically like, don't worry about anyone else but yourself for the next two months and get better and feel better and develop a plan of action for how you're going to live your life in the best, most peaceful, prosperous way. And I don't think I had taken that time as an adult. You, oh my goodness, you gave us some actionable things and I hope that everyone tuned in. It's truly either taking mental notes or, you know, physical notes on what it is that you can do to recalibrate. You know, in your TED Talk, Ashley, you were talking about those moments in front of the mirror. And um, I believe it was with your mother um, or it may have been your grandmother, but she would spin you around and ask you, like, who's that beautiful girl? Who's that beautiful girl? Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is like what I want to do with my child. And I remember certain moments of affirmation in my in my childhood. But we, you spoke about, you, you gave out real facts, right? And um, different sets of data about how important it is to speak life into children and how important it is to, you know, raise confident children and how, you know, once they believe what is not hype, but is your affirmation for themselves. They grow up to be these confident beings. You know, I really want to, yeah. t- you know, talk to you about that because I did a, an episode before about getting back to the dreams of my childhood. And, mm. oh my gosh, I talked about knowing what I wanted to do for so long and being discouraged along the way and how it's taken me a while to get back to myself. Not that I've ever like strayed off my path, but the influence, you know, of others. Um, When I was so confident, you know, about knowing who I was and what I was going to do, you know, in respect to where I was on my journey, right? Um, But can you talk about the importance of nurturing your inner child um, and how important it is to really go back to that person, right? Little Ashley and remember how, how confident you were and then really foster that into adulthood. Yeah. I think what, what tends to happen is adults are taught to be realistic after a certain Mm. point in time. And I don't think being realistic will get you, it won't get you to your dreams. That's for sure. And There's almost um, like people talk, people have different opinions about Kanye West. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I like about him is he has like an irrational confidence at times (laughs) and almost like a delusional confidence. And sometimes he he may be delusional. But one of the (laughs) things that is consistent is he talks about how before 
he released um, Jesus Walks, it was a song, I think it's Jesus Walks, it was a song that maybe another another big artist like Jay-Z wanted. And he was like, oh, no, I can't give that up. That's that's going to be a hit. That's going to be the biggest song ever. And this was before he was as prominent as he is yeah. now. And people would look at him like, how could you, what do you mean you're not going to give that song to Jay? Like, he's, that's Jay-Z. How you not, how you not going to give that song to him? And he just had this delusional confidence. I was like, no, nah, this is a hit. I'm telling y'all. And sure enough, that song is still a hit. Yes. And we are so apprehensive to have that level of confidence mm-hmm. about our dreams, about our beliefs, especially in the face of other people saying that won't work. And when you think about what we've been through as a people, so being come here, like being captives at one point, having a history of slavery, but also having a history of royalty, some would argue that because of the way, you know, you look at the justice system, it's filled with black and brown people. You look at lower levels of corporate America filled with black and brown people. But at the top, it's very few of us. So everything around us factually tells us we as African-Americans aren't the cream cream of the top. We're not we're not top executives. We're not supposed to make it, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, or if we are supposed to make it, it's only to a certain level. And that's what I saw in corporate. Even if they give you partnership, you have less clients than all the white partners. So that type of stuff. But you, I think what your dreams, your childhood dreams require the same delusional confidence that would make you want to jump off monkey bars (laughs) when you don't have wings to fly. Like that is delusional, but you were confident. You know, it's like the same confidence that tells you as a baby, you can go from crawling to walking when you've only known your mother's stomach and the ground. Like it's that level of confidence. Children have delusional confidence and the most successful adults have the same thing because they're dreaming of things that have not even happened yet. And not only have they not happened, but they think they're going to be the first person in the world to bring it into fruition. And that takes a level of delusional (laughs) confidence that really is going to push you out there to take the first step. And we need that. We need that as adults. This world doesn't accommodate that. Social media won't accommodate that. Your friends and family probably won't accommodate that. So it has to come from within. You know what, Mrs. Kirkwood? You know what? (laughs) Like, I, I am just sitting over here. I'm smiling. I am literally on the front pew having a moment and I'm like, okay, don't be the person standing up and sitting down and shouting. Okay. Not the, not the entire <laughs> podcast. Don't, don't please. I'm trying to limit my, mm, mm-hmm. oh yeah. All right. Yeah. I hit. Okay. Look, ma'am, ma'am, <laughs> being realistic won't help you live your dreams like what ma'am it won't ma'am it won't that's what everyone tells us to do is be realistic being realistic oh my gosh look that I I I okay look Ashley you have had some very real moments in your life as a black woman who practices law. And it started before you entered the law firm. You know, you spoke about this Mm 2.1 GPA transferring into Northwestern. And, you know, during your TED talk, you spoke about not being the best 
performer, but, you know, still, you know, having confidence and being encouraged by your parents. Tell us how you use the confidence that was poured into you to really push you into resiliency as people spoke down to you, as people told you, "Mm, uh, yeah, no, no, no. And you know what? You have to tell us about the MBA. Definitely. So one of the great things about having um, a strong foundation is that you get to kind of see how they go through trials. And I'll never forget there was a period where we were really struggling financially in my house when I was younger, but I didn't know it. I mean, so my dad owned his own company, did multiple seven figures in business for himself. But when I got older, I learned that there was a a period of time where my mom had to really hold things down. As a kid, I didn't know because she held it down so well. We didn't (laughs) we didn't really know what was going on. Like she kept a good face. But when I look back as an adult and I realize how she never let me worry about money as a kid so that I could continue to dream, that is a sign of her resilience. So I kind of learned about, you don't, one, you don't need to let everyone know when you're going through. Mm. That's number one. I think in the spirit of everyone being so transparent nowadays, people open themselves up to more hurt than they need to by sharing their test before it's a testimony. I do think it's great to tell people like, oh, I went through this horrible time, but I don't think it's great to tell people, oh, I'm so depressed right now. I can't get out of bed. This is just the reality of entrepreneurship. The reason I don't do stuff like that is because with me putting that out there, I don't know who's going to see it. I don't know who's going to take pride in that, Mm. take joy in that. I don't know who's going to use that as an excuse to not get help for their own depression by normalizing it. I don't know what's going to be done with that information. So I feel it's irresponsible to put out my test before it's a testimony because the test is really for me. If I'm going through a hard time, it's not for the world to see. It's for me to develop and grow as a person. Once I've developed and grown, I can talk about it in a way that will empower and inform other people, but not before. Mm. Before, I'm just still broken and I'm dealing with it. And I think that with this, right now, everyone's like, everything's instant gratification. So like you go on vacation, you got to post the pictures while you're on vacation. You don't wait till you get back. If you have a boyfriend, you post them all the time. Then when you break up, you got to wait and figure out a nice, cute post to post about that. I think that we go through things publicly all the time, which opens us up to more criticism from people who are uninformed and unprofessional. Like, they're not doctors. They're not going to be able to help. (laughs) It's not. I just don't. I personally am old school about that. I do think being transparent is helpful. But the less people know about what you're going through in the thick of it, especially just random people who can't help you, the better, in my opinion. Wait till you get through it um, or talk to people who can help you develop a plan so that you can get through it versus people who will just flame the fire. Like, yeah, girl, everybody is sad. Yeah, girl, these men don't make sense. I I see so much negativity and it's just like, like I will see women who I know for a fact because they've talked to me who want to be married, who want to have love, post about how horrible all the men are that they're dating. Well, that doesn't make sense because that great man who's on your timeline is looking and she's, he's like, well, I mean, I'm right here. I'm a good dude, but I don't want to be blasted on social media if we have one bad right. text exchange. <laughs> so some level of like, 
you we still need to get back to some level of exactly. privacy. Some level. I'm not saying go all the way back to where our parents were. They didn't tell okay. us. But get back to some level of privacy. And um, the NBA is all about, it's like the progression of how confidence is formed. So it starts with your mindset. And this goes to like just your basic, your basic thoughts about a situation. Those repeated thoughts become your beliefs. And evidence shows that we have over 70,000 thoughts per day. The vast majority of those thoughts for the average American are negative thoughts. And we're not even conscious of it. Those thoughts form the basis for your belief, the thing that you believe. And your beliefs form the basis of your action. So I use the chair example when I'm speaking um, on stages. And I talk about like, hey, everybody stand up. And then I ask everyone to sit down. And everyone stands up and they sit back down. And I'm like, look, you sat down because you believe that chair would hold you up. That's your action. Mm -hmm. Like you thought at some point that chairs were to hold people up. That became your belief. Those thoughts became your beliefs. Your beliefs inform your actions. If you didn't think the chair would hold you up, you wouldn't move. You wouldn't do anything. And a lot of people don't move towards their dreams because their negative thoughts have formed a belief that they can't do it. And thus, they're never going to take action. So if you don't, if you don't police your mind, you won't be able to get to the promise that you've made to yourself when you were a child. Well said. You know, you when you talk about the NBA, you made me think of Matt. And that is something that came from um, a pastor at my church since he said, manifest action today. And it goes hand in hand because there are so many things that, you know, we don't realize we're making negative agreements about that we speak you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, the power of life and death in our own tongues. We discourage ourselves from so many things and we don't realize how powerful the words we speak um, are. We, yep. we really don't. So I have to ask you. We don't. You were able to you know, really ride out this NBA, you made it happen. Tell me about Ashley, who was making $300,000, who was confident, who was (laughs) winning cases and making it happen, um, who was then like, "Um, I'm not really feeling this. This isn't filling me up. And I have more to offer. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big jump. Um, And I think I didn't think about it too much or else I may have psyched myself Mm. out. So I was, I was at, at one firm, the firm that I liked, I had a great experience there. I negotiated close to a six figure raise to go to another firm that had been recruiting me for years. And I remember when I was negotiating, I asked for such a high raise because I didn't want to leave the firm that I was at. So I was like, look, I'm not going to talk to you all for less than, you know, I don't know. I, I told them like $287,000, not including my bonus. And they were like, oh, that's way over budget. We don't pay that to people at your tenure. Like, that's what we pay partners like we're not paying that and I was like well great then we don't have to have a conversation I didn't want to leave anyways I was like you all are calling me I'm happy I love where I'm at and it's a great place to work um and so 
they eventually came back and she was like, okay, well, we figured out what we're going to do. We're going to um, move you up so you make partnerships sooner. We're going to give you this. You're going to get your end of the year raise. Then you're going to get a summer bonus. And so it'll all come out to what you need it to be. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And I still want to get my bonus. I was like, and I want it in a signing bonus so I could have access to it right away. And I still want my year-end bonus. Like, I had all these stipulations. Love. And um, and I was like, and I still want you all to make sure that you send me to all the conferences I want to go to and donate to all the charities that my current firm was donating to. Because what people don't realize about corporate, some people think corporate's evil. I love corporate. I think people who have jobs are in a great position. Because if you do well in that company, that company has a lot of money <laughs> to do really good in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I had my firm spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on pro bono civil rights litigation They donated tens of thousands of dollars to charities that I was connected to and I was passionate about to increase diversity. And the charity saw it as coming from me, but it was really money funded by the firm. So this helped my personal profile. I built my brand. I got in the press while I was there. So for those listening who want to be entrepreneurs, I get it. But there may be opportunities for your company to help you build your personal brand. So don't negate that. (laughs) Do not negate that at all. You know what? I want um, you to finish your your um your thought, but I have to stop for a second because we have to absolutely talk about your confidence being able to even make that kind of request. We can follow up after you finish your thought because I don't want you to forget, but I had to put a bookmark there because someone is probably listening like, wait, wait, she negotiated almost a six figure raise and you told them and you were making you know (laughs) matching gifts and in-kind donations and pro bono like wait what yes oh yeah she did yes she did okay so bookmark that but then please continue I'm like I know somebody's gonna be like yes we will for sure talk about that (laughs) (laughs) no we will for sure talk about that um so what I I negotiated all that they ended up agreeing and so I left um and I went to this other firm. And when I got there, I quickly realized I had made a mistake mm. because I made the decision purely based on, a, a purely for financial reasons. The woman who recruited me, her personality was never good. Wow. <laughs> and, and I had heard from various people that she was not a good person to work for. Like it was well known in the community. In particular, she had had three other women of color, two other black women work for her and leave within a year. So I already knew there were going to be problems there, but I was like, but, and that was one of the reasons why I was like, you're going to have to pay me to deal with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if you're going to be difficult, there's a tax right, for that. Right, 287's going to sound bad though. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, well, you know, I'll make it. I think she can't be that bad. You know, the more money they offered, I was like, oh, she, she's not too bad. She's going to be okay. <laughs> and I got there and she was not okay. Her reputation was absolutely accurate. Wow. And I do think that she tried. I think that she did try with me to um, accommodate my needs. But at the end of the day, I th- my personal opinion was that her as a, a white lesbian woman had a problem with me as a black woman speaking my truth, being confident and not acquiescing to her mm. needs. And I only bring up her sexual orientation because she felt that because she was a minority and I was a minority, 
that we shared experiences that we did not yes. share. It was just, it was a lot of problems. Inappropriate profanity, reasonable work request. You know, forcing me to work from the office when I had negotiated prior to coming there, work from home schedule as well, because I didn't I didn't have to work in, from the office in my previous job. So she kind of reneged on some of the things that she'd agreed to. It was not a good environment. More importantly, working there started making me feel differently about myself. So my confidence was low. And there was one day I was on the train and working in a hostile work environment. It's just horrible. No amount of money is worth it. Trust me. And people who work in those environments probably know this. Yes. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Honey, that is how um, the entire Get My Life tour started. Yes, it is not worth it. And I was on the train, heading to work, packed train, and my husband was riding the train with me downtown. And I started bawling on the train. And I was like, oh, my God, this has to be what depression feels like. Like, I hate my job. I don't want to go. Every, and it started happening like several times a week. I would just be on the train crying. Like, I can't believe I have to go to this office place. And it was at that point that I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to her about this. And so I went and I had a meeting with her. And I was like, you know, several women of color have left. Your working style is not conducive. You're not being reasonable. Why do you think it is that you have not been able to retain a single person of color in your department? Mm. And that question ticked her all the way off <laughs> i can imagine okay and you are so, so well spoken and you are on your ish yeah she was over that question she was like oh you will not question me and after that i think that it just was it was pretty much a wrap it was pretty much a wrap after that i was like well i gotta get up out of here right. this isn't gonna work and i thought i'd leave and go to another firm honestly but mm. i had gotten offers at other firms and when it was time for me to start at another firm. They, one of the firms that I was working with, had given me an offer, a good offer. They called. They were like, this is crazy, but um, you didn't clear conflicts, which means that I worked on a case at that firm that I didn't like <laughs> that prevented me from working at the, the new firm because they were representing the opposing side. Oh. And you can't do that unless a partner approves, which is like never going to happen. And um, I, was really, I was really sad. I was crying. But prior to getting that call about the... Um, the firm not accepting me and I not being able to start there. I had prayed this prayer that was like, God, I pray the next position for me is custom made for me because mm. I cannot go back into a position where I'm depressed and sad and just not fulfilled. And I got the call and every other opportunity that I had lined up went away. Mm. And I could basically hear, like, I just knew it was God saying like, you need to, if you want something custom made, you're going to have to make it. Because don't nobody know you like, like you about to know yourself. <laughs> like, oh, no wow. one else is going to give you a job that's custom made for you. You need to figure out what you really want, the life you really want to live, and you should design your company around that. You know what? To live life by design and default requires a certain level of confidence and faith. Here you were negotiating like no other, okay? No other than I know. So shout outs to you, right? But you were negotiating. You had favor. There was grace. You had already made it through so many moments of your life and passed so many tests, right? And I love your brand. Don't quit your daydream. Thank right? you. Yeah. And I'm just, I keep taking it back to Lil Ashley, right? L-I-L Ashley. Because 
I almost want to assume that you already knew what you wanted to do, right? Is that true? And if so, at what point did you realize, look, this needs to become a thing and I cannot quit my daydream or the dreams of my childhood? Yes, I did. I When I was growing up, I was very entrepreneurial. And I remember, you know, I got my first job before I was even supposed to be working. I, was, mm-hmm. I had my first job at 13 and I convinced the owner of a local cleaner to let me run the cleaner so he could start taking vacation. You know what? <laughs> I was 13. I, was, I walked around my whole neighborhood to all the local businesses and I hadn't handed out my resume. And I was like, hello, my name's Ashley. I'm looking for a job. Um, I go to school. I've lived in this community for 13 years. I will take great care of your business. And I ended up getting job offers at 13. <laughs> you know what? Your pitch was incredible. I, I've been living in this community for 13 years. <laughs> I remember what you were only 13, young lady. Right. I was you had a resume. Well, did you have a yes, resume? Yes, a little resume. Was your suit tailored? Okay, like, get out. <laughs> yes, like, just being, just making opportunities for myself at a young age. And my parents were like, okay, sure, you could do that. And, you know, I sold Girl Scout cookies. I learned to sew and I would take these. Um, I went to an old school CME church. So <laughs> women with short uh, skirts, they had to wear those little scarves yes, to cover up their knees. Yes, so I started making like fashionable little scarves oh for their knees and selling those at church. <laughs> and they, I'm sure they look so raggedy, but people would buy them because I was young. And then I realized, OK, well, my youth doesn't have to be a negative. It could be an asset. So I would use that. Like, all right, you're young. They're going to expect less. They're still going to pay. You're going to look cute. You're going to smile. And so I did all these entrepreneurial things growing up. And even in college, started a career coaching business and all of that. But when it came to like, what am I going to do with my life? That realistic nature set in. It was like, well, you got to get a job. I mean, you can't like provide for yourself off this money. (laughs) This isn't going to work. And I did. I got a job. But I also always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. So I did get a job, but I knew I wanted to become an attorney. And I I got back to that when I was in college. I think that was when I was like, all right, I have to get this law degree. This is a part of my journey, even if I don't practice in the traditional sense long term. This is a part of my story, getting this law degree. But it was, it gets a little tricky. Hmm. (laughs) It gets a little tricky as you're an adult because you do have bills to pay and responsibilities. And I never wanted to be a burden on my parents. After college, I did not move back home. Um, I was determined to make a way for myself. Um, now, I, I ended up getting married really young. So, you know, I had help, actually. <laughs> like, we got married close to after college. Wow. But you do want to, you do want to make your own path. But it did take some time for me to get back to what I actually wanted. Entrepreneurship, being an attorney, doing things with the media. I want to do more with the media. I've been scared to go on TV pregnant, but I just reached out to my producer the other day and I was like, look, you know, if you need me, I will come. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'll come. I'll waddle my way up there. Hello. Great. <laughs> <laughs> just don't have her on camera. But like, okay, so it's going to turn into an educational uh, seminar. Right. Or like neck up only. (laughs) Let me sit behind the desk. I love it. You know, you, you've pivoted uh, what appears to be so gracefully, right? Tell us more about those moments where you thought you had it all figured out and 
life was like, wait, one second, come back and do it again one more time. And how you overcame those moments, especially, you know, in founding Mobile General Counsel and having this booming speaking business that you have. I think entrepreneurship is the biggest test of faith that I've probably that I've had, at least one of the biggest, because you really you wake up every day and you have to create opportunities for your company's future. Hmm. And if you don't, no one else will do it for you. So when I first started my business and I never I never have looked like the business wasn't making it. So I think one thing people have to remember is when you're starting, I'm a lawyer. So people pay me to solve problems, which means I cannot be looking like a problem. So I've always been good about (laughs) making sure I appear confident for the sake of my clients. I want them to know I'm going to confidently advocate for them. But when we started Mobile General Counsel, I had a reputation. My brand was really working at large firms, doing large trials that small businesses would never be able to afford. So all our clients were huge. They were on the Fortune 500 list, if not Fortune 100 list. But in starting a firm for small businesses and entrepreneurs, I had to totally rebrand. And people aren't going to accept your rebrand on day one. It takes time and consistency for them to see you before they're going to give you their dollars. Mm. And for our firm, that runway was like seven, it was six months, pretty much. So before we got our first like month where we're making over $15,000, it was a six month period. And for the first six months, our firm, it just didn't, it wasn't really making money. So during that period, what I did to make money, and the reason I started speaking a lot was because the runway to get a paid speaking engagement for me was a lot shorter. So I could make some calls, tell them about my past experience, send them videos of me speaking and get booked to speak quickly at college campuses across the country. So I, I created my own college tour, which led me to create the Speak Your Way to Cash brand where I teach speakers how to land paid engagements. But that first six months for the firm just was not going to cut it. Now, the last seven months of last year, our firm did well over um, six figures in revenue, mm-hmm. but it was all within the last seven months. And all of those people were following me the first half of the year to see whether I would be consistent because a lot of people do start and stop. So that led, like our 50 clients came from the last seven months of the year. Wow. So I tell people, you have to remain consistent. And then in January of this year, we did our largest month um, of the firm's history, 100% from referrals. Congratulations. That is major. That speaks to the caliber of work that you do. And of course, about who you are as a woman, as a professional, and as someone who really pours in to your team. Because not everyone is a great leader, right? Right. But that means you you know how to to treat people. people. Yes, you inspire and you treat people well. That goes a very long way. Yeah. And I mean, we hire people and entrepreneurs talk about this sometimes and people don't really understand that just because you, your company makes, you know, $150,000, $160,000, it doesn't mean you make that. Like you're paying other people. Because for me, I also had to make sure that I grew in a way that didn't overwhelm myself. So I was, I did hire an assistant really, really early. Mm. Really early. (laughs) That was probably the first thing that I did. And I hired coaches really early um, before the money was coming through the door. So you do need to invest in yourself early 
but the consistency will pay off. That's what people, that's what you have to believe. And that's, that is true. It will pay off. Yeah. That's really good information, especially as you say that with, you know, the fact that a lot of what you have experienced came in, in those last seven months, I think so many of us are used to having things put into the microwave and come out and it's ready. But when, you know, you press the button, you keep having to um, add 30 seconds, you know, in life that feels like a very long time, but there's so many different formulas to letting things cook so that they are well done. I will never forget when um, one of the leaders in the church said, you have to go through the fire in order to be well done. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, Mm. you know what? All right. Like, that's just what it is. You know, I'm certain that you have learned so much on your journey, right? But I have to ask you because you've said so many great things, but we're talking about confidence as a currency. What have been some of the returns on the investment you've made in yourself along the journey in being so confident as a woman and also as a, a friend, a daughter, a wife, and an entrepreneur? You know what? Professionally, I think one of the things that I've, that I've invested in that, you know, my family's invested in that my faith has helped with is I have a belief that if you are a Black woman professional of color, You are rare and there may not be many of you, but contrary to popular belief, that doesn't mean you're less than. It means you're more valuable. That's going to help you negotiate better wages for yourself. Mm. And I know we talked about that a little bit more, but the way that you see yourself going into a company is going to determine how you negotiate your salary. That has helped a lot. Investing in the way that I see myself. I don't care if, you know, a guy down the who's who looks different from me, I don't care if everyone in the company is older white men. If that's who's in the company, I'm not going to be intimidated by that. I'm going to figure out one. I always look to figure out what do I have in common with this person? Mm. Because you can typically find something in common with almost anyone. Yeah. If you look hard enough and you try to get to know them. And that investment has been helpful, like working on my mindset. Not because I've gone to a lot of diversity events. And let me tell you, (laughs) they are not always positive. Like a lot of the diversity events that I went to as a lawyer that would be geared towards black attorneys were negative. (laughs) Like you walk in and be like, only 3% of you all will make partner. And then after that, the white man is going to hold you down because they're not going to give you good reviews. And you're not going to. And I've always (laughs) looked at situations from the perspective of, okay, if the white man is in control, why would I stay away from him? Let me figure out how to get guidance and tutelage from him. Let me figure out where his kids go to school. Let me figure out what his favorite vacation spot is. Because guess what? I may have traveled there too. Like there's really nothing stopping me from making connections with anyone. And mentors have to see themselves in you in order to take an investment in you, whether they're black or white. They're looking to see if you're like them, if you're someone who can come up like them and do great like them. And if they can see that in you, then they'll help you. So identifying great mentors, regardless of race, um, not letting people off the hook for their foolishness, calling them on that. But the deeper your relationship is with a person, regardless of their their color, creed, or background, the more um, open they're going to be to you calling them on their crap. Wow. 
So you, it, that takes confidence, too, to call people out on their crap. But you can only really do that if you know someone, because that's the only way you can do it from a position of love versus a position of, like, hate. So I don't operate from the minority position that is promulgated, which is, like, you are less than, you're worthless, like, you, you're not going to be able to do this. There's so few of you that do this. Like, that, that doesn't help us, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's for somebody else to read and figure out and, and, and help and do whatever they want to do with. That doesn't help us to see ourselves in that way. So investing in how you see yourself. And then personally, in my relationship, I believe that I am smart enough to have chosen the right partner, to have said yes to the right partner. Mm-hmm. And that has helped me so that if we have a moment of disagreement or he does something that hurts my feelings, I can hold on to the belief that I was smart enough, I was wise enough to say yes to the right man. And so now all I have to figure out is what went wrong in our communication <laughs> that we're having a disagreement. Yeah. So we don't have to fight all the time. And I don't, I don't go to bed mad. I don't believe in that. You know, I believe in doing things to make his life easier. He does things to make my life easier. But we hold on to a belief that we really do love each other and we want the best for each other, even in the worst of times, because that will help you to have a better, I think, more fulfilling um, marriage and just relationships in general. That's really good. You know, I cannot thank you enough for everything that you have shared. And I typically don't ask people this question on... um, on the podcast, I'm just like, oh, okay. I think you've shared everything you want to share, but I have to ask you, is there anything, right? You're going to have your mic drop moment, but is there anything that has been <laughs> pressing on your heart that you feel you have to share? You, the one thing I really have been thinking about a lot this month, maybe because it's February, I don't know, is that we don't, we as Black women do not have to settle for struggle love or struggle careers or struggle anything. Mm. Like, we do not have to struggle. We don't. And the belief that we have to struggle is what keeps us looking for struggle in every situation and being okay with it in every situation. We are supposed to live good, happy, peace-filled lives. We do not need unrest in our lives. You know, and I, I, that image is always coming at us from reality shows, from friends, from family, from negative social media posts. We don't have to, we don't have to struggle. Mm. We can choose to live a really good, really peaceful life. There are people out here who are doing it every single day. Find those people and ask them what are the consistent things that they do on a daily basis to live a peace-filled life and do that because we deserve it. And we just, we don't have to settle for the struggle. You know what? That is an entire word. You know, and it leads me to a point that I I made sure to bookmark in my head about you being a mommy-to-be. I, for anyone who is listening who is a parent, mother, father, expecting, planning, praying, hoping, um, in the process of in vitro or any of those things, I want you to just share, what are you um, expecting for this next chapter to be like in your life as you are running this successful business and, you know, getting ready for this little girl to arrive in your life, who I know is going to be fabulous and like all things just, 
just wonderful. I am expecting a lot of things to change, <laughs> like including my priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, because even while pregnant, you know, this time last year I was flying around all over to do speaking engagements. And now I've just become so much more deliberate about what I'm going to do, the engagements I'm going to take, the people I'm aligning myself with. So I'm expecting things to change. I'm expecting to not know everything, but I'm also really deliberate about making sure that it is not an expectation in my house that I will take on the brunt of the parenting responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my mom about this and she, she talked about how um, my dad had never done laundry because I just like wasn't his thing. And when they got married, she did the laundry. I think at a point he was working and she was staying home. So that was pretty much probably an equal split at some point. But now she works. She's like built her career at um, a large insurance company herself. And with my husband and I, he's always been very open about it. It doesn't, it could be 50-50 all day long. I'll do whatever needs to be done. He's actually taken on more responsibility. But I have a tendency to take things over. So I'm expecting and I'm deliberately having him choose like the pediatrician. (laughs) So he knows where it is. He knows how to make appointments. Like just really, I'm looking forward to making it a partnership yeah. in parenting um, and not doing more than I need to do just because I feel like this is what moms do or this is what wives need to do. You know, I feel like that is also a word for those who are pregnant with their dreams and visions and getting ready for the next, you know, the next phase in their lives. I feel like it's still applicable, right? You said, don't take on all the responsibility. You know, have someone Mm -hmm. who can help support you and hold you accountable and then lean on others for advice the way you did, you know, with your mother. The reason why, you know, I'm leaning on that example is because there are some of us who are just like, okay, I'm not there in life. But there is something to be learned um, through that natural process, right, of creating life and then just being, you know, called to do something in life by the most high. So thank you so much yeah. for sharing. Definitely. But I'm really excited about it. I know it'll be different than anything I've done before. So I'm just looking forward to it. And there are a lot of women who've done it before and they're willing to share and talk. And so that's been a blessing. Right. So I'm going to just drop a little um, line here. So I told Ashley, we'll all be waiting for her mommy and me entrepreneurship podcast. Um, so now that I've <laughs> said it and spoken into the universe and now I'm saying it here on airwaves when we get my live tour, hopefully we see it. Um, and if you most definitely want to hear from her, I say blow her up on social media, slide in her DMs, email her. Um, she may not have much time to respond to you because by then her bundle of joy will be here. But I would love, I would absolutely love to hear you um, share your journey, right? So yeah, it's going to be a journey. It is. <laughs> Look, we have had an incredible conversation and there's so much that I am taking away. Every stop on this tour, we have a mic drop moment. So this is, you know, whoever is um, taking center stage is opportunity to say something you know, very profound or leave us with everything they have center stage. So I will give you a second, but I would love for you to think of what it is that you want to leave with us and just drop the mic. (laughs) 
You know, I'll just leave you guys with this. Your dreams can come true in a second. It doesn't take a month. It doesn't take a week. And it doesn't take a hookup. It could happen any second of any minute of any day. And for the seven months that I was really not making money in my business or my law firm business, I would tell myself that like, all right, wake up, get up, grind it out, do what you know you need to do. Because if you plant the seeds, they're going to grow. It only takes one call, one email, one person to see one post for everything in your life to change. And so don't get discouraged when you don't see it right away. If you're consistent and you plant the seeds, they will grow. Oh, my goodness. I know I could speak to you for like five more hours, but that is not how <laughs> this works, right? Right. But you have been so gracious and you have lent so much of your expertise and your experience and have really showed up in a grand way. And it is to be appreciated. For those who would love to connect with you and stay connected, please let them know how they can do so. Definitely. You can find me on Instagram at the Ashley Nicole show, or you can head to my website, ashleynicolekirkwood.com and connect with me there. Join our email list and stay connected, but shoot me a DM on Instagram. Yes. Request that podcast that is coming soon. I don't know how soon soon is, but we're just going to take it. <laughs> She's like, stop. It's not. <laughs> but it has been great. You all can make sure that you stay connected with her. Please do. She has great services that she offers. If you want to become a professional speaker, she will help you with that. If you want to get your business in order legally, she will help you. She has so many different templates and products and services. Her Don't Quit Your Daydream job, um, excuse me, her Don't Quit Your Daydream shirt is available on her website as well. I'm telling you, go check her out because she is someone will help, who will help you get to the next level Um you don't want to miss out the opportunity to connect with her. I promise you that. As always, if you want to stay connected with the Get My Life Tour, you know that you can join us backstage on Facebook in the Get My Life Tour backstage group. Connect with us on social media at the Get My Life Tour and with myself at Lydia T. Blanco. It has been great. I cannot thank you enough, Ashley, for showing up the way that you did. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Until the next time, it has been real peace. Mm-hmm.